Hey, ready? Welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Pigeon podcast, bringing you the top health tech news stories and analysis every single week. I'm James, and with me today, I have my Somex co-founder and fiance, Jessica Smith. Hello, how are you doing? Even though I've seen you literally for the entire morning. The entire morning, the whole week, the last six and a half years of our life. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. It's not a chore. It's not as much of a chore as everyone, as I probably just made that sound. It's a delight, in fact. Anyway, moving swiftly onwards, yes, I'm good. I'm tired. It's been a long week, but a great week of events. I feel like everyone's come back from the summer holidays and everything has really kicked off this week, which has been fun, but it's showing no signs of letting up, which is more fun, but I just need to sleep. How are you? I'm all right. I had the I had the Google for startups event this week. So uh, the Google for startups team have launched a global program, the Growth Academy for AI and health. So they've got 30 startups on there from all sorts of different European countries, African countries. Uh, and yeah, went to their YouTube space, which is sort of downstairs if you go into their offices it's take the escalator down and uh yeah they've got this little like youtube bunker in there where they um yeah do events and stuff like this it was really cool it was just so many different startups doing so many cool things like tony young was there from the nhs and load of vcs were there but yeah it was just cool speaking to startups that are doing like really interesting cool techie stuff all across the world yeah really buzzy atmosphere so yeah that was nice. That was one of the events we had this week. Um, but you've you've been out and about all week. So what have you been up to? Yeah, it has been a busy week. But that does sound like fun and probably nice to get out of the health bubble for a change. But I was in the health bubble and the health tech bubble and it was very, very fun. So we started off the week at HET. So as everyone knows, one of the big health tech events here in the UK. And it was really busy. It was great, actually. Lots and lots of people. It was a lot busier than I was expecting. I haven't actually been before. Jess went last year. Um, and so Hugh and I went along. Um, we actually did some awesome interviews with some of the speakers and just cool people who we found hanging out there. So that will be coming in an exclusive interview episode next week but it was really good as well to see pharma representation in a way that I haven't seen um that not to that extent before at a kind of a health tech event so that was very cool yeah it was a gathering of all of our good friends and I met a lot lots of new people as well um lots of important conversations about FDP data security the list goes on. There, there were lots of things talked about, uncovered, um, and everyone had a lot of positive things to say about it. That was Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Tuesday evening, uh, we joined forces with KPMG, Apira, and Tech Canal, and critically Wired, which was very, very cool. And we hosted a, a dinner, like just a closed kind of roundtable dinner in the evening, which was really fun. And it was just a bit different to the usual events we did where rather than bringing together like, uh, you know, a panel of a few people to have a conversation, we kind of created an open panel of a whole table, 27 people from all sides of the proverbial healthcare table around the literal table. And it was good because there was a lot of debate. So 
I find, I don't know about you, that lots of conversations we have are lots of people agreeing with each other mm. and kind of saying the same things. And the conversation was very much in line with the conversations we, you know, we were always having, but it was nice that people challenged each other and shared ideas and perspectives in, I guess, a safe Chatham House space where, you know, you don't always, always get that. Um, and it wasn't, it was all done in such a positive way. So that was really fun and the food was on point. So that was good. And then Wednesday, headed over to a brand new clinic launch over in West London, Visit Health. So they have opened a new state-of-the-art clinic, I believe, in building that Elton John used to own. In fact, I saw Elton John's offices. So that was definitely a highlight. Um, There were stars (laughs) around the office. Love that. And that was kitted out with kind of -of state-of-the-art spec technology, some, yeah, cool stuff there. And then... Thursday, we had breakfast event, a breakfast event hosted by Quiddity. Hootie and Gavin did an awesome job bringing together some interesting people around the table. Um, They have been supporting a delegation that came over from Israel with a VC firm called EH Ventures and a group of companies who are looking to come and join the UK um, and perhaps work with the NHS and some of the other um, other markets across the UK too. And there are some really, really cool solutions in there, uh, like biomarker toilet, which is basically a wearable in your toilet that's testing all sorts of biomarkers. It has all sorts of use cases from women's health to diabetes, IBD, all sorts of things. It's very, very cool. There was a STD testing on demand within one hour. So I thought that was very cool. And definitely a lot of scope for that over here in the UK. Another one which was awesome, which was glasses that are doing pupil sense, like sensing and measuring your pupils with closed eyes so that they can be used in surgery and in ICU for people who are obviously under anesthetic um, or not conscious of that kind of thing um, as an additional continuous measure of obviously different health markers and that kind of thing. So there was a lot. It was busy, um, but a week of good conversation, good food, and just catching up with people, which was fun. And then next week, aside from wedding planning, we've got a wedding planning <laughs> event of just the two of us. But before that, we are heading over to Sifted for another conversation about AI. Um, so if you're around on Wednesday, the 4th, then come and join us for that. Uh, where, yeah, we'll have some experts sharing their perspectives, their views on what's going on in AI and uh, what might be coming up. So, yeah. Nice. All sounds very cool. It's funny, when you're talking about the people thing, it was like I was struggling to see what on earth that could possibly be used for until you said the word continuous. And it was like, oh, right, okay, because you obviously then you can just lift the eyelids and have a look at people's, but no, continuous, then that starts to make sense. But no, the... When you talked about the event where people were challenging each other, I think that's a really interesting point about like just the quality of events at the minute and like what people actually need to do. I, I think with the with the proliferation of content recently uh, over the last sort of five years, it's just become more and more and more common to see everybody's opinion on things in a unilateral way. And I think there's you know there, there've been spells of events where you go to them and the, there are people on stage just saying the same things that everyone says and everyone agrees with each other and then everyone leaves and it's like well i could have just gone onto linkedin and just seen that or i could have just googled it or asked chat gpt to do me a blog on it and now that that's doing up-to-date information 
I can get this wherever. I think it's actually so required now for events to actually have debate, actually have interesting content that's created in a unique way by the unique setup of a unique panel. And I think that's kind of the point. And I can, if you kind of think like how panels were, how that even was a good idea, it would be because of the differences of opinion and a panel would be people talking about it and discussing it and debating it and arguing with each other. And that's where the unique insights are. That's where the unique insights live. When different people with different opinions that aren't normally talking to each other are talking to each other people that normally would be behind layers and layers and layers of emails etc and that's actually the value of it and so i like the fact that with so much digital content it's put real pressure on well what is the value of an event and actually the value of an event the USP of it is that you can get different people that aren't normally around each other to talk about things that they wouldn't normally say to each other. And that's where unique insights will come from. So I think that is awesome. And I think that's what Sifted are trying to do really well next week. It's what health are trying to do really well with Vegas and Europe. And so like, it's really nice to see that events have gone through this phase of being kind of bland if i dare say the word to now actually challenging status quo in that way and actually becoming more interesting so i'm liking the direction of where events are going and i know that's what we try and do loads with like our somex events and stuff it's what we're absolutely focused on it's like how do you actually make it useful for people that have come here and so i'm, I'm enjoying seeing that that's becoming more of a principle for people mm. yeah i think that's a good point actually and something that i talked to about on his podcast quite recently about like the art of creating value in community and communicating through a lens of value and I think that's so important because otherwise as I say you have the same kind of conversations over and over again and the other thing that you know bringing together people who don't normally connect is that it also creates relationships and it creates value in that way. And one of the really cool things to see was that there were different people from different places who had never met each other before and realized that they they had common values and had value there was a value exchange that they could have together. And you had people from uh, an NHS organization who were listening to an innovator talking about the solution that they had, which sparked something in them. And they said, actually, I think what you've got could solve a problem for me. Can we chat about that? In a way that wasn't someone trying to sell them something, there was no pressure. It was genuinely people coming together, talking about challenges and solutions and thinking about how can they collaborate to actually do something um, rather than hard selling, which I think often can be quite difficult. I, I guess a difficult dynamic at, at big conferences. And, mm. you know, I, even at HET, I had someone try and sell me a scanner and I, I don't need a scanner. Um, I'm there to kind of, <laughs> meet, I'm sure there are people that do, but like, I'm, I'm not one of them. Um, I'm there to kind of meet people and build those relationships and hear what everyone else is doing and try and join the dots in some way. And I think there are more people who are incentivized and energized in doing that. Um, which I think is cool rather than simply that kind of sales exchange. So it's nice. Right. First story we want to talk about today. Um, Jessica is here and we are going to do the, the women's health segment. Um, but we are also going to pull in my pet topic, which is AI. So ideal. This article is from SciTech Daily and it reads, Decoding Women's Health 
artificial intelligence revolutionizes PCOS or PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome diagnosis. Now, I've had a read of this article. It's uh, an NIH study. They reviewed 25 years of data and they basically found that AI machine learning can detect this very common hormone disorder. It's underdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, has serious outcomes with fertility and lots of different things for women. And they wanted to identify the utility of AI to identify it in people that might be at risk. So that sort of detection element. Now, they've looked at it. And to basically conclude, no surprise to anybody listening, AI and machine learning, when incorporated into electronic health records and other clinical settings can improve the diagnosis and care of women with PCOS. Now, that's what the article says. That's what the study says. And it then goes on to talk about the findings in more detail and some other bits. I sort of got to the end of this article and just sort of felt like, oh, it was a bit of an anticlimax. The article just sort of finished because I remember talking to Dom from Tortoise about this, that he feels, and I agree with him, that we're in this relatively strange place morally where the tech transfer of essentially academia to practically in the hands of patients is certainly missing something. And the Dom talks about it. He, there was a, a Swedish study in cardiology uh, similar that AI can do loads of stuff. And then the presentation that he was listening to just finished. It can do loads of stuff. Everyone clapped, everyone went home and went back to their clinical jobs. And it's like, at what point morally do we look at ourselves and go, hold on a minute, we've just said that AI machine learning can do this stuff incredibly well. And we're all patting ourselves on the back that we've done this scientific study. How do we now build the things that are going to help, which by the way must exist in order to do the study, so they're built. Well, how do we actually get them adopted and used? What are those barriers and how do we just get blasting through them as quickly as possible? Because hold on a minute, we've just decided that this world can be a better place with these technologies. We've decided exactly where it can be a better place and how it can be a better place. So what's the what what next? And it's funny because I can remember when I was an F1 doctor and I was sat in a lecture theater. It was after work and it was a it was like a people it was a meeting where everyone was sort of presenting the best audits that had been done in that hospital over the past 6 months. And I can remember listening to these audits where people were just talking about the problem and they they've done this methodology and research around deciding what the problem is. And they talk about the problem in this way. And this is how this problem is connected to other problems. And they've got a big smile on the face that they've decided what the problem is. And here's the problem dressed up. And here's our recommendations of what should be done. It's more research. It's something at some point that's going to change something. There's my audit. And I can remember physically looking around the room, like cranking my neck, looking around the room, everyone's clapping and I'm like, hold on a minute, where's the change? Like, why are we clapping this? Okay, great. But there's absolutely no incentive. And I actually, I remember going out after this meeting, I said to my clinical supervisor at the time, I was like, can I do an audit of audits that actually looks at how many of these audits led to any actual change? 
And my clinical supervisor heavily suggested that I did not do such a thing for the amount of people that would annoy in the hospital. And I was like, I, it's, it's a very different type of person, I think, that really cares about that kind of, let's look at the problem. And I'm not knocking that in any way. I think there is just a massive disconnect in medicine and in healthcare between patting yourselves on the back for deciding what the problem is and what might work to then actually getting involved in the very messy element of then how do we actually make it work. And I think it's studies like this that are great to set off momentum and to set off perhaps entrepreneurs that might read this and go, right, here's somewhere where we can focus on then. Maybe that's the value of this. But it's perhaps a bit triggering for me to read this stuff without any actual solutions talked about and any actual way of leading to impact for patients. Because for me, I've existed in that system that didn't work because of all these problems. I've been in so many of these meetings where we talk about these problems. I just want to, I've just wanted to see some solutions and that's what I'm, I guess, trying to do with my life and career and all that sort of stuff. But great that we know more of this problem and great that we now know that AIML can do stuff. I would love it if there was now a moral obligation to be like, I can't just sit on this. Something needs to happen now. I'm just not quite sure where that responsibility lives. Mm. I mean, it's very interesting because you weren't at that dinner with um, Wired on on Tuesday, but you've you've really um, articulated a lot of what we a lot of what we talked about, which was that ultimately there are some really great solutions out there, but we're just struggling to get them to the places where they're actually going to make any difference. And the reasons generally pertain to system level challenges. Um, and ultimately morals don't pay the bills, right? So mm. you, you have to go to where the money is. Uh, the money is not in high supply right now, especially in the health system, like in the NHS. So you're having to look outside of that, you know, that market, and ultimately then you know do you go and explore other commercial opportunities and then the nhs becomes your kind of your uh esg kind of project um as a kind of once you've had that clinical success but like making it pay in those kinds of environments where you know it's going to have the biggest um impact is really hard and then also the adoption piece is incredibly hard because the culture just isn't there to bring it in in the right way and get the people who need to use it using it in the right way seamlessly within the systems and processes that they already have and i also think that there's challenges around the fact that for example say this is in pcos right now pcos and the way it's treated i say this as someone who has lived experience that you get that diagnosis and then nothing happens unless you're you're given maybe like a few options like hormonal contraception perhaps or you know some lifestyle changes but over and above that that there's not a great deal that actually happens once you receive that diagnosis um and so if we're putting more people into a system and giving more people a diagnosis is that creating more pressure on a system and also something that um huber talked about who's recently joined the maven clinic she's an obs and obs and gyne specialist she was saying her, just sharing her frustrations around you know we're all talking about women's health and we got really excited about it and there was money dedicated for it and now it's been pulled and so being able to do the so what piece or even bring in some of these technologies is becoming really hard because like conditions like pcos aren't life-threatening 
it is a pain and it has an impact on your quality of life but it's not killing anybody and so the budget gets prioritized elsewhere and even sometimes when you think you have budget it gets pulled um and you might have budget to kick a project off but there isn't budget and this is not in women's health necessarily this is across the board where's the where's the sustainability um where does the sustainability piece come in and that's from from both sides from a commercial perspective and also just a practical perspective that you might have you know initial money to bring some technology or a solution in that might be for a 12-month program but then what what happens when when that money's run out, how do you, and it is obviously about ROI and, and demonstrating cost efficiencies and all of those kinds of things, but sometimes there isn't, it's not possible to keep it going on a continuous basis. And that's really hard. So I think there's so much wrapped up in this and a lot of conversations are centered around this at the moment because people are feeling really similar to you. Like it's frustrating um, and people want to make a difference and they see the space where it's going to make the most difference. But there's so many barriers to getting it to there. And like mm. I said, sometimes it comes down to the fact that morals don't pay the bills. Yes. And that paying the bills element is interesting. Following something like this, right, this study that's just said, right, now AI is really good at picking this stuff up. We can pick up loads more of it. Let's say it's super sensitive. It's super specific, which means that we can increase the diagnosis of this condition accurately then you're right does that put more pressure on the health system well it might do in the short term but then the argument would be from a health economic perspective by picking these things up early and early intervention you're going to prevent later stage and more expensive intervention down the line and that's just talking about the economics, let alone the impact that would actually have for those people in their lives. And so it seems that this link between these types of academic studies that prove how good AI might be should then really just be linked straight away into a health economics study that just says, well, here's in a very detailed way. It's essentially a business case, isn't it? It's essentially a business case of saying, okay, we've proved that this will increase the quality. Well, let's now see if this is economically viable. And then it feels like, okay, well, if you prove that it's economically viable, which no doubt you'd prove that, oh, sorry, no doubt, there's obviously some doubt, but like, I'm pretty confident you could prove that associated cost savings with identifying PCOS early and giving lifestyle interventions as opposed to letting them get later stage and then need fertility treatment on the NHS or something similar. Like, I'm pretty certain that that's going to be a, a business model positive study. I wonder if then the next link is then to look at policy and then just be like, right, okay, we can, we've proved it now. And then it proves it's got an economic model in a public health system. Perhaps now the burden now lies to policy. So you're actually just passing the responsibility literally on from the people that prove that this might be effective, then prove that it's economically viable, now actually go and do something from a policy perspective that either directly just implements screening or this or that, the other, or even just makes the ground more fertile for those startups, i.e. creating certain startup funds that if they're doing this, they can access some government money or perhaps giving organizations in this sector, in this field, an incentive to adopt new technology for early identification. Perhaps you sort it out with quaff points in primary care or all these different things. But like, it seems that 
what's missing for me, having worked across all of these different things, it's one of the advantages that I think I have of like understanding where things might actually work is like that crosses so many different ALB, arm's length bodies to the Department of Health, like places like NHS England or Health Education England that I'm going to later today or like all, all these sort of government bodies or arm's length government bodies in healthcare are all kind of interconnected in some way, but kind of not really. And that, I guess, is the challenge that when it comes to implementing policy, what tends to happen is you go, okay, well, a, a program of activity that aims to increase adoption of AI machine learning things to detect PCOS would be great. Here's recommendations for six different government bodies. And then those six government bodies then go, okay, well, now we've got to write our own paper about what we're going to do and give recommendations to other people. And then all of a sudden it starts to slow down. But it does feel like there needs to be some sort of conveyor belt of like how you actually get to impact. Because for me, it just feels like, okay, fine. Like Ministry of State in the obvious has said that AI is good at diagnosing PCOS. Like, okay, <laughs> like what now? And I feel like there just needs to be a thing of like, everybody knows once this has been done, this next thing happens, health economic study. Once that's done, this next thing happens, pressure on blah organization to sort something. And I feel like that would just help things. Yeah, I think I agree. I think what is what would be an important part of that health economic study is actually like timings around being able to show that that economic impact and essentially ROI for at service level and then uh you know country level or whatever it might be. And again, one of the conversations that is like really kind of on the at the forefront of everyone's minds at the moment is that is you know po- yes, policies are important, but clearly that's really tied up in politics. And I think a lot of people are hopeful that come the next general election, that's when we'll start to see a lot more significant movement because regardless of what government you end up with, it is a new chapter, new energy you know, perhaps new focus areas, but people are going to be much more focused on solving problems rather than winning a general election, which is where we are at the moment. Um, And and as we've talked about before, and we always talk about, or I always end up talking about with Liam Cahill, is that, you know, in the run-up to a general election, you're not going to see any big changes and any, any, you know, significant new policies coming through because they're not going to have an impact right now. Um, And so my my sense of the situation there's a lot of people are kind of holding their breath to wait until that happens where you then might essentially start seeing that uh that treadmill start start up again but the frustrating thing is that there's still you know 12 months or more until we get there so what's going to happen between now and then because we've still got problems to solve in the meantime um but you know a big challenge is having uh, a government who's really engaged in in these problems in the right way and the right people within those those government organizations arm's length organizations as you as you rightly say that understand the problems in the right way and have the energy and desire to want to solve them and and collaborate with the other people who have a perspective on helping them solve it i guess The headline of this article is that apparently just 7% of UK startups are actively involved with AI. I had to check that to make sure that they weren't 
saying 93% of UK startups, but in fact, it's probably 93% of startups are talking about being involved with AI. Yeah, this study has shown that less than 10% of UK startups are using or facilitating artificial intelligence, despite Rishi Sunak pushing for Britain to become a global leader in AI. So out of nearly 17,000 UK startups, just 1,270 have been identified as clearly using or facilitating AI. Interesting use of the word clearly. Yeah, funny one this. It feels like everyone's talking about it. And actually something Hugh and our team said earlier that, yeah, it's the difference between people talking about it and people doing it, isn't it? And there's also probably something here around like how they're defining AI and what the people that are actually doing AI versus doing a decision tree or a simple algorithm or, you know, something like that. But yeah, interesting stuff. It's a really interesting example of existing in an echo chamber where, as you say, like everyone talking about something, is anyone really doing it? We know that people are doing it. And I can genuinely say like that's it surprises me because I, I and we work with lots of companies who really are using AI and we see them doing that and understand understand how and the where and all of that kind of thing. Um, and I forget, obviously, this article is not specific to health either. But I, I don't know, I just, I was as shocked as you were by that. I think, it, yeah, it probably also does come down to definition. Um, definition is a very, definition AI is a very, very broad church. Um, I had a similar conversation earlier prepping for a panel that I've got in a couple of weeks about digital biomarkers that one of the big challenges is that the the definition is very loose. There isn't a clear definition of it. And so when you come to talk about who's doing what, where, and how, it's just a very ambiguous topic. And you have people at different ends of the spectrum who are really disagreeing with each other because one will think the other actually is not doing AI or using a digital biomarker because it, perhaps it's not in the purest sense, but the perception of the person doing it is that it is because of X, Y, and Z. And so... I mean, I appreciate that this is research and I'm sure there are some clear research parameters around it. It's always very um, confronting when your echo chamber bubble bursts a little bit and you realise, oh, okay, <laughs> all is not maybe as I perceive it to be. But I guess it also links in with um, what looks like some big conversations that have been happening elsewhere about AI and that kind of thing around the world this week. James, you found... Uh, a neat little article about some some small little businesses who have just been doing <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I remember seeing this on um, one of the whether it was like TikTok or something. I saw a, a few videos of like all of these like tech giants like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg all sort of leaving the same venue and like looked it up. But basically, yeah, the likes of Elon Musk, Sam Altman from OpenAI, Zuckerberg from Facebook, they all went to this sort of meeting, I believe in Washington, uh, where they discussed artificial intelligence with lawmakers to decide basically how are we going to regulate AI. It's quite interesting because it was a closed door session where these tech guys delivered opening statements, apparently moderated by someone in the US Senate. And basically, it's sort of, it's not very clear like what's actually going to come out of that meeting. They generally agreed that AI needs to be regulated. Obviously, we know that's been heavily under scrutiny recently. Um, 
Elon particularly has been very clear that AI, you know, provides this existential risk to humans. And yeah, there was also a push for open source AI. The likes of Bill Gates said no security risks if you do that and all that sort of stuff. So there's interesting conversations going on about AI at the minute. But even that meeting in itself has had critics. A, because it's been closed door. B, because someone, someone described it as the biggest gathering of monopolists since the Gilded Age, which I had to look up. And that's a period in uh, US history from 1870 to 1900, where there are probably only, quite, uh, only a few companies that basically monopolized literally everything. So that certainly says something. Uh, and then they conclude by saying that future meetings are likely to be public. But yeah, coming back to this article that we're talking about now, yes, there is going to be a public meeting. So for people to know, uh, leading academics and executives from AI companies like DeepMind, Microsoft, OpenAI, Anthropic are being invited to an AI safety summit at Bletchley Park, which for those of you that know your World War II history, is the Buckinghamshire country house where British code breakers were based in the Second World War, led by Alan Turing, regarded as the father of computing. And you might know about the Turing test, which solidifies his legacy as if he needed that but yeah so that's more of a public meeting so that will be publicly available at least the information from it will be publicly available so that we will be able to hear uh, far more about those things so they're going to broadly look at like safety in ai they're gonna have sessions on ethics guardrails potential solutions for misinformation about elections and cybersecurity and things like that so yeah, there's a lot going on in the AI world, um, uh, sort of the root of the AI world in sort of deep technology. And obviously, we're feeling the ripples of that in healthcare too. But yeah, whilst there aren't that many startups using AI, 7% currently, according to this study, I can see that going up and up and up, especially as these more regulatory bits creep in and people know how to use it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it is interesting. I don't want to be that person, but I'm going to be that person. But that meeting, you look at the uh, you look at the photos, and it is a meeting of middle aged men. <laughs> and uh, I really hope that the the one in Bletchley Park, perhaps they put a little bit more thought into uh, making sure there's some some decent representation in there in all all forms. Uh, because yeah, that's that's not great, is it? I'm just like one of the articles I've just looked at now. And the, the headline photo is just six headshots of six men who all look quite similar and slightly like pensive expressions on their faces. Um, so, yeah, I think need to do better. But that's just me beating my drum, as usual. I'm sure we can all agree. Quite. I think the, uh, yeah, the representation at the level of billionaires is probably representative of problems that we've had for quite a while and probably not any that we're going to fix on Pigeon today, but we're doing our bit. We're doing our bit. Calling it out <laughs> and, uh, yeah, calling out we a bit of diversity try. later yeah. down the line. So we can do our best. I can send them some recommendations for good people, perhaps, that they uh, they, they, they could have involved. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> whoever's organizing that meeting, hit me up. I'll send you some names. I can help. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. Cool. So everybody, that has been Health Tech Pigeon this week. Next week, we're going to come to you with a few of those interviews that we did at HET. So uh, look forward to some of the change makers and innovators uh, that we met over there. Uh, a few a few of their thoughts and bits and bobs that are going to come out next week. We'll 
smash that into a montage for you. But yeah, this week has been about AI. It's been about women's health and it's been about how the heck do we turn uh, ministry of the bleeding obvious studies that say machine learning can do stuff to then actually doing stuff answers on a postcard send those to news at healthtechpigeon.com that'd be great if you want to grab the links to all of the stories we talked about today you can head to healthtechpigeon.com uh, get the newsletter etc etc if you're listening to this you probably get it anyway but there you go uh we will see you next week see some of you at sifted bye